listening to Miscarriage Stories with Arden Cartrett. Natalie, welcome to Miscarriage Stories. Um, I'm sad that you're here, but also, you know, so thankful that you are willing to share your story. Uh, I first want to start by saying, because I do a little intake form um, to get to know people's story beforehand. And uh, this is going to be, I guess, a spoiler alert, but I love that you put that you welcomed a little red haired princess um, (laughs) because I'm seeing, you know, everybody can't see you and you're blonde. And so now I'm reading that and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so cute. And so, you know, Maybe I'll start by spoiling it. That way people know that this does end with a little red-haired princess, um, but that you were blonde. And so that's so, it's so fascinating. Um, yeah. And I loved that little note that you put. Yeah, I think it's so, it's so important to focus on the happy endings. Because I think when you are just so enmeshed in that, you know, fertility, pregnancy loss kind of environment, it's so easy to forget that there are happy endings. Yeah, of course. And so, no, now that we've spoiled the happy ending, let's backtrack. And (laughs) I would love to hear your pregnancy and loss experience. Um, Some people start with when they, you know, wanted to be a mom. Some people start with when they started trying to conceive. Other people start with that first um, pregnancy. So I welcome you to start wherever your story begins. Sure. Okay. Well, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for having this platform because I know when I was going through my losses, I kind of stumbled upon it and um, just started kind of like binge listening to all of the interviews. And it was so, it was helpful. I mean, it was, it was hard to hear a lot of those stories, but also helpful at the, at the same time. So I'm really glad to be able to um, hopefully pay it forward. And maybe my story will help other people that are feeling lost and feeling all those, those tough feelings when you're kind of in the, in the midst of, of that terrible time. So um, I guess I'll start with, you know, kind of the the beginning of our pregnancy journey. We had decided, both my husband and I, we consider ourselves to kind of be (laughs) elder parents. So I think I was 37 when we first decided to start trying. And um, I had uh, gone to my family doctor and said, we are um, looking to start our family. Is there anything that you know, we should do or know or anything that should be tested. And he just said, um, no, just go ahead. You know how babies are made, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I certainly didn't have a great relationship with my family doctor. Um, He's no longer my family doctor, spoiler alert. Um, And so we just kind of naively said, okay, let's, let's just get started, which I'm sure most people do. Like you're just so innocent. And so, um, naive you know before before you uh you start that journey or even consider like what what the possibilities are that you know it might not might not go as smoothly as as you think it would so um I got pregnant pretty much right away um I was tracking my cycle so I knew you know where where we were and when to try got pregnant right away um got symptoms right away everything was kind of going just as as you'd expect it to and I uh, that was in July of 2020 so um definitely in the in the height of COVID um 
especially, you know, in the medical community, there was, everything was just really difficult. They really kind of discouraged you from going into the hospital and putting a, a strain on the, on the medical system. Um, but I did begin um, to have some bleeding and cramping. So I had gone to the hospital and um, I pretty much was kind of around eight, nine weeks at that point. Um, and I remember I woke up one day and I had no symptoms and I thought, oh, this is great. Like that didn't last very long. That was awesome. And then later that day I started to have some bleeding and cramping. And um, by the time I got to the hospital, you know, I knew what was happening, even though there are so many other options that are kind of thrown out to you of what may be happening. But by that point, the miscarriage had pretty much um, run its course. And um, I had some ultrasounds and that was really stressful because I was by myself in the hospital. Um, they did eventually allow my husband to come in, but it was a long day of, of being alone and you know not knowing what was going on. And um, basically I was just given kind of the all clear to wait a few months, try again. Again, I really kind of avoided going down the Google hole and just said, okay, it was bad luck. It happens, I guess. And um, we waited, I think about six months. Um, and, you know, which in hindsight, I, I regret that we had waited that long. I wish that we had kind of jumped right back in, but that's hindsight. And uh, again, got pregnant right away. Started having symptoms right away of morning sickness and and fatigue and all that and everything was great and um at 10 weeks we had had an ultrasound we saw the baby everything looked great uh they were moving around a good heart rate and i really kind of took a deep breath and thought okay this is perfect um so that would have been um spring of 2021 again covid was still you know the restrictions were still uh still in place in the hospital so everything that i had as far as appointments was all by myself and um, at 10 weeks, again, I woke up one day and I felt great. My energy was coming back. I had no morning sickness. And I thought, oh, awesome. That finished really early. And um, we had told our friends and family and coworkers about our pregnancy. And we were so excited. And um, at about, uh, so I had an ultrasound at 10 weeks. We saw the baby move and the heartbeat. I got referred to an OB here in Canada. Um, you basically don't really get any medical attention until you reach that 12 week mark until you are into your um, kind of past that risk zone. So I've been referred to an OB and at 12 weeks was when uh, my second miscarriage happened. And like I said, we had already told everybody and uh, um, same kind of situation, like started to have some cramping, a little bit of spotting went into the hospital right away and to emerge. Again, I was all by myself. My husband wasn't able to come in. I had phenomenal care in our hospital though, I have to say. I was um, triaged very quickly. They took it very seriously. Um, and I, uh, but again, because of, you know, the unexpected nature, I did have to wait pretty much all day for an ultrasound. And I remember I had such a lovely eMERGE doctor that did one of those terrible old fashioned portable ultrasound machines and he said I think I can see a heartbeat I can convince myself there's a heartbeat but I just don't really know for sure so he did um, refer me for a, a vaginal ultrasound which at that point they did confirm that there was no heartbeat so um, that was another heartbreak that was just completely completely unexpected and we um, were referred to a pregnancy crisis 
clinic where they gave us our options. Um, and I think that was like the first time that I thought, I wish there was some sort of guidebook for going through this experience. Because I remember it was a lovely doctor, an OBGYN that met with us. And she said, um, you know, you've opted for the, for the medication to um, begin the process. And it's just going to feel like a heavy period. And I thought, okay, I can, I can deal with that. Like I, I had those when I was younger, I can kind of, I'm okay with that. And I have to say, like, <laughs> I felt so violated after the fact, because what I went through was so much more than a heavy period. And I think it was actually listening to one of your podcasts, because that is when I started listening, following the miscarriage doula is that other people had similar um experiences that I did. And now that I've delivered a full-term baby girl, I recognize that my experience with that second loss at 12 weeks was very similar to a labor and delivery situation, um, except that I was at home and I only had my husband and I had zero pain control. And I mean, hopefully there are other women out there that don't suffer physically like that, but I really think that what I went through was really more of the norm as far as an experience with a loss at 12 weeks. Um, that's something I, I so agree with. And I think it was me having my first living son that showed me just how similar birth in the first trimester, early second trimester is to full-term birth. Um, and a lot of people have this terrible experience with Cytotech. And I, you know, I, I, I wonder especially because you're in Canada. And so it is a little different. Like what could have made that experience better not doing it? Or were there elements right. that maybe we could have had more support? Um, I wonder if you've thought about that at all of, of what could have made that an easier at home experience. Yeah, I really, I've, I've given that a lot of thought. I've often said, like, I've been very open about speaking about my losses too. Um, and I've often said, if I had to do it again, God forbid, I would absolutely not walk out the door without some sort of pain control because not only do you have this, you know, it's similar to labor and delivery, but you don't have at the end, you don't have a baby, you know, you, you don't have that baby to bring home. You don't have um, that happy ending. So you're dealing with that emotional turmoil on top of the excruciating physical pain. And I mean, it was, it was really, and also the unknown of knowing like, okay, I'm at home in my, in my, room in my bathroom and I don't know is this a normal amount of blood is this a normal feeling like you know and the last thing you want to do of course is go back you know to the hospital but you're just kind of facing all those unknowns and when the only piece of advice that you're given is here's a script for cytotech and it's going to be like a heavy period and when you face a situation that's completely not like that it really kind of makes you panic like we both were like I, I don't know if this is normal like I don't know what you know what's going on and I think um I think that that was the first time I had heard of someone having a similar situation like having those contractions and delivering their baby was on your podcast and I felt so comforted by that I mean this was after the fact unfortunately um but I think when you're when you're going through that kind of experience and a loss, you feel so angry about so many things after the fact. And that was just one more thing that I was so angry about that I felt so deceived as to what to expect physically. And, 
And, you know, I don't know if that's an option if they, if they would have been able to give me some sort of pain relief, you know, beyond, beyond Tylenol, but I think it certainly would have made the experience a little bit easier to just not uh, have that terrible, you know, that terrible physical pain and just not knowing what to expect. Like I was not prepared for the blood loss. Like I literally was not prepared. I didn't have supplies. I didn't like, I just, you know, and that adds that extra like element of sort of like just panic and, and upset. And, and the other thing that I wish that the doctor or someone had told me is, um, the experience of actually delivering the baby because at 12 weeks my baby was a baby like it was very you know I knew what it was when it came out and I think I've heard stories on your podcast of women you know like on the toilet and panicking and and flushing the toilet and then having this terrible you know grief and remorse and I now that I've been through it that's a totally normal reaction like you're just you have no idea what to expect when you're going through that and it's so surreal and raw and you just react so viscerally like I just think that's something that that the medical profession really should prepare women for and say like this is what may happen this is what it may feel like this is what it may look like like just to kind of give people a little bit of an expectation rather than just you know (laughs) you reacting with complete panic and really have no idea what to expect so that those were the two kind of big takeaways from that experience and I think telling people that they have options with giving birth at home that, you know, it's not, um, I don't know that it's not crazy to want to collect your baby and bury them yourself or to bring yeah. them in for testing or, um, yeah. you know, we don't, we don't have those options. And even, you know, I know the difference in an American healthcare and Canadian is, is so different where here we're still told, no, you can't do it, but we can fight a little bit harder in Canada. Right if you're told you can't do it, you can't fight because, you know, what they say goes. And so it's, it's so complicated. Um, I think that the pain management thing is also one of those things. Like I tell people to ask for like controlled substance level pain management, but to take it before they take the medication, because I had the experience where I waited until I was in pain to take it and I couldn't keep it down. And so, um, nobody told me that I was just told like, Hey, if your pain is not manageable, take this medication, um, instead of preparing for it to be painful, not if it were painful when it's yeah. painful. Um, but I had the same experience where I was like, I just send my husband out at 3 AM to get adult diapers because I had, I was shocked at the level of the bleeding. Um, and so I being at eight weeks at that time, thinking about a doctor sending you home at 12 weeks, telling you it's going to be a heavy period, like scientifically makes no sense. How would that be a heavy period? I can't even comprehend how that is what we're told, Um, which is just, it's so mind blowing. And so I'm so sorry that you were told that. Um, You know, I I know that I interjected and I kind of put us off on a a, a little bit of a a cytotech um, side. I can't even think of the word, but, um, you know, going back to that loss and miscarrying at home. And then you mentioned, you can understand how somebody would flush what was your experience with miscarrying at home? Did you have that visceral reaction of flushing or, or did you do something different with your baby? I, um, so I was actually in the shower because it had gone on for probably, I think probably about 24 hours. And it was funny because um, I had gone through very, you know, experience very similar to um, 
labor pains. They were very, uh, like they were in intervals, they came in waves, like very similar to, to, to when I gave birth to my daughter, looking back. And, um, and then it kind of stopped. And I thought, okay, like, I'm going to have a shower, you know, get cleaned up, kind of clear my head. And actually, when I was in the shower, I had this really sharp pain, and I delivered our baby in the shower. And I remember like picking the baby up being like, oh my, like, what, shock. What? yeah, like, cause I kind of thought it was over, you know, and I thought, right. you know, it's done, it's gone. Like, I, I didn't know what to expect. And it was a beautiful, like, clearly you could see it was a beautiful, tiny little baby. So I'm mm-hmm. grateful for that, even though I think I would have forgiven myself if it hadn't, you know, worked out that way. Um, so I'm grateful for that experience. Um and um, we did, um, we do have kind of a little like cemetery at our house. We live in the country and we were able to, um, to bury that baby and have kind of a little physical memorial place for that. Um, but it was, it was, it was again, shocking, like to just kind of have this feeling. I remember feeling it was kind of like a pop feeling. Um, and then it was just like, you know, it just came out. So um, that's something that I just think people need to be prepared for because you know just that that really surprised me I really thought everything had had been finished at that point so well of course and you're told a heavy period and up until then what you experienced was more than a heavy period but you know you could still think like okay I'm bleeding that's the miscarriage yeah um and then uh you know I I always tell people that they know when it's over and I can't really explain that it's something that you experience where it's just like you really know whenever you have that relief of you just gave birth to your baby um any gestation that's that's a very similar feeling that people have across the board um and usually up until that point they're like okay the worst is over I've made it and then right the worst actually happens and then it's over and it's 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 shocking um nobody really prepares you for it and so I'm so thank you for, for sharing the details, because I know that that is not easy to relive, you know, for, for the sake of sharing here, but um, sadly it, it happened. Yeah, it does. And I, and I think those people that are saying or giving that advice have clearly never gone through that. You know, I think you just, to, to say those words, and, I, and I, I'm sure that I'm not the only person that has been told, you know, given that as an expectation, just a heavy oh, period. No. Yeah. clearly like then then they have not been through the experience because it's you know it's nothing like that <laughs> agreed agreed yeah. and so after your second miscarriage um can we can we can you walk us through like uh recovering and thinking about getting pregnant again because I know you had that six month break between your first yeah. pregnancy and this pregnancy so um how did you feel after this loss? yeah and honestly that was um it was a a very difficult time. Uh, like I mentioned, we had told, you know, our family, our friends, our coworkers, um, and then to have to, I actually literally could not say what happened to people. Like I made my husband be, be the henchman to go and tell people the poor guy. Um, and it was, to, to be very honest, it was embarrassing. And I know so many people say, you know, it's not your fault, don't be embarrassed. And I understand that, you know, I understand the, that that is the truth but to have shared that information and then to have to go back and tell people you know that that's no longer the case it was just it was a very shameful period for me personally um so that was really hard to carry that and um 
you know, my employer was very understanding, which I will be forever grateful to. And everyone was very understanding. Um, but I guess what was really kind of equally as difficult as the loss was, so I'm very familiar with what disenfranchised grief is because I'm an animal person. We're both passionate animal lovers. We have many dogs and cats and cats and horses and other animals. So I've experienced that kind of grief when we've lost an animal. And I know that people really kind of diminish a loss like that. And in most cases, don't really, can't recognize the depth of your loss and how you feel and what you've been through. Um, and I think the reality is that grief and, and loss and sadness really make people uncomfortable. And so, we try to make people feel better by handing out these platitudes or you know these terrible sayings that are intended to make feel people feel better and just have the opposite effect and it really you know minimizes people's grief i think but what i didn't know is that pregnancy loss really falls under this category of disenfranchised grief and i think that really kind of took me by surprise and and I mean, people just don't know how to deal with another person's discomfort and, and grief and they avoid it and they really seem to kind of pretend like it didn't happen. And, and even though logically in my head, because I work in a people-oriented field, I knew the log that logically that is how they handled it. It was like they were acting like my babies hadn't died and that I hadn't been pregnant. And I remember coming home one day from work, I think, and just saying to my husband, I mean, I was sobbing. I said, our baby lived, our baby lived in me for, you know, almost three months. And these people are acting like it never happened. And I just kept saying, I don't understand this. Like, I don't understand this. And, you know, that's just kind of the, re the reality of how people um, reacted to it. And even when I addressed with a family member after a second loss, um, that they hadn't even sent a condolence. Like I was, I was really hurt by that. They said, well, I didn't want to upset you. And I was just waiting for you to reach out and, and start that conversation. And I said, you know, reacted very viscerally again. I said, so you thought that I would be okay if you didn't say anything? Or how was I just supposed to bring up, you know, that topic? Like, how does that even make sense? And it literally had the opposite effect. Like I was so angry and so upset that they had done that. And it's, it just seemed to me like I just was not expecting people to react that way. So that was another difficult part of, of the recovery from that loss. Because with our first loss, we didn't tell anybody except, you know, our very close friends and family members. But with the second one, you know, we had to go double back and kind of share the sad news and so it was really kind of upsetting the way that a lot of people um, handled it. And now that I kind of know what I know, I think that's just a really common um, experience that people have. Yeah, sadly, um, you know, people will use that excuse of, well, I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't want to upset you. But what they don't understand is you're already thinking about it. It's already yeah. consuming every thought that you have and yeah. you are dying for somebody to bring it up because you yeah. want to talk about what happened to you, but you don't want to feel like you're burdening other people. And it's just this, this circle of, you know, people not validating your experience or, you know, um, sometimes people use language like, oh, well, 
maybe something was wrong with the baby or they weren't meant to be here. And those are just not helpful because that doesn't, that doesn't excuse what's happened to you. It doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make it better. Um, so people are so uncomfortable. They also feel like they have to fix it. And yeah. sometimes people will come to me and they say, how can I support a sister or a friend going through a miscarriage? And I just say, hold space for them to talk about it. You know, don't, don't try to fix it. Just listen, just be there. Just, you know, ask questions and, and talk to them like a human that's lost a child. Uh, it's, I don't feel like it sounds that hard, but I know to other people, it is that hard to, to sit in the uncomfortable space. Yeah, it, it, it clearly is. And I guess, you know, like I said, because I'm kind of used to that experience with our animals, I was like, wait, this is the same way. Like we're like, we're go, but this, you know, we're going through this again. And it was just kind of, it, it made it hard. And like you said, you just want someone to recognize what you've been through and, and give it because you're never not thinking about it or what happened or why it happened. Like it's never not on your mind. So I think it's better to be able to talk about it and um, kind of a, a, a happier, you know, turn of events was, um, so I had miscarried at 12 weeks um, and I had, like I said, I'd already been referred to an OBGYN for that 12 week appointment. So I miscarried on a Monday and I had an OBGYN appointment for that Thursday of the same week. And so here in Canada, if you do have fertility issues or you, or you, you are struggling with you know, anything along that line, it's about a two year wait to get into a Medicare funded um, OBGYN for fertility support. Because I understand they're just so busy with women that are already pregnant, you know, and that you know, are in the throes of their pregnancy. So um, unless you wanna go the private route um, for those publicly funded doctors, it's quite a long wait. So I thought, you know what, what the hell? I already have this appointment. I'm going to go. I'm going to try to get my foot in the door and talk to this doctor. And I fully expected that they'd be like, see you later. You know, like, you're not pregnant. You can't be here. Like, you're going to have to wait like everyone else. Um, so I went <laughs> to be completely transparent with my adult diaper on to this appointment. Um, and I don't know how the nurse or the doctor even understood me because I was literally sobbing every word explaining to them what happened and that I came just because I didn't know what else to do and um, also I think it's pretty probably across the board um, the same unless you've had three recurrent miscarriages you aren't considered to um, be a candidate for any kind of you know help or have a fertility issue and people so that listen to this know that I literally hate that rule. It, yeah. There is no law. It's just people telling you that that's what you have to go through to get testing. And in America, we have an organization um, that kind of like sets the rules for these things for doctors to follow. But it's it's just uh, it's basically for our insurance companies to follow. In Canada, it's just like because it is a, a government um, insurance or not insurance healthcare it's like what they say goes. And so you can't yeah. really fight them. And again, so it's like, while there are pros to other healthcare systems working in this space, I have seen the cons of those healthcare systems. And it's like, we're all just so broken. And yeah. I just don't understand like, why, why can't we just get the people help in the time that they need the help? But I, I again, I understand the demand and it's yeah. just, it's so, um, I don't know how we fix it. Well, I think, you know, it's either going to encourage people to lie 
um, or it's going to people, it's going to really kind of set people so far behind on their, um, on their parenting journey. And I mean, for me at, um, I was 38 at the time of that second loss. I just felt like I didn't have the time to wait. I mean, two years, I, I mean, it just was just devastating to think I would have to wait two years. So I don't know if it was some sort of divine intervention or what it was, or they just felt so sorry for me that the doctor said, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to take you on as a patient. And she said, makes me emotional just thinking about it. She said, I can offer you three things. That's all I can give you. And if those three things don't work, unfortunately, you're going to have to go for more um, in-depth testing or more help that I can offer you because I'm really just an OBGYN. I'm not a fertility expert. And I said, absolutely, whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Um, so she ran very basic hormonal blood work, which I'd never had done in my life ever, <laughs> which is crazy to think. We did, um, and, and specifically wanted to kind of get an idea of where my hormone levels were. Um, she, um, we did an H, it's an HSG, um, which I'm sure all your listeners are familiar with. Um, and, and then she offered me a script for um, supplemental progesterone for the next time I get pregnant. So I was like on it. I mean, I left that office, like making my blood work appointment, um, tracking my cycle. So I knew when to have the HSG um, procedure done and had that, you know, like that script. And I mean, every time I met with her, I was like, can I try to get pregnant now? Can I try to get pregnant now? And she was so sweet. And she's like, yeah, we're just going to wait. You know, we got my blood work back. And she said, um, your progesterone level does seem kind of low for where you are in your cycle, um, but it's hard to know because you've just obviously suffered a loss, so everything's going to be kind of um, not completely normal. Um, and she said, all we can do is try. And she said, I want you to um, start this supplemental progesterone as soon as your next um, you get your next positive pregnancy test. And um, and my HSG also came back completely normal. There was no concerns um, with that procedure. Um, but it was the first time in my life that I felt like, you know, hopeful about, you know, what was going on. But also, you know, going back to um, when I had first made an appointment with my family doctor, I often think back to what if he had just taken five minutes to have my hormone levels tested? Because, <laughs> spoiler alert, we do believe it was my progesterone that was low that was causing those early losses because um, my most recent pregnancy with my daughter, um, I did take the supplemental progesterone, had zero issues, had an amazing, perfect pregnancy, like absolutely perfect right up until the minute she was in my arm. So I really feel like that was that was the issue all along. And I, I think back to like, what if he had just taken the time to check my hormone levels? It really, it could have probably maybe avoided a lot of this. And it seems like to me, when I look at what's going on with other people around me and just kind of across the board, I think there's just so much hormonal imbalance with women, whether it's, you know, our lifestyles now, or, you know, I don't know what it is, but it just seems to be so much more common. And, um, so that was kind of our journey to our to our most recent pregnancy and having our daughter. There was a lot of interesting kind of 
interventions and and looking back I just think of so much that I would have done differently and um, and really for me thankfully kind of what a simple fix in some ways that it was um, to be to be able to carry a pregnancy to full term. I know you mentioned disenfranchised grief, but there's also, you know, with grief, there is this hindsight bias where we now learn these lessons, sadly, about our own bodies because of what we have experienced. And, you know, of course, the part of me, I I also, um, I had low progesterone and that caused me to have infertility. Um, And I often think back if I would have just pushed for testing, but I had no idea that I had to I had, I had no idea that I needed my progesterone levels checked. I had no idea how important they were. Nobody taught me that. Yeah. Um, you know, I learned that from my experience of, of infertility and loss. And that's so unfortunate that that's how we learn about these things. And so sometimes mm-hmm. we have that thought of like, if we could just go back and shake our younger selves of like asking yeah. these questions and pushing for more things, but it's also important to give ourselves grace because we had no idea what we didn't know. Right. Yeah. Or if you knew that then, of course you would have pushed for it. It's just, right. um, it's, it's so hard, but there is hormone imbalances are one of the biggest reasons, um, why women have miscarriages and why they have infertility and there are tests for it, but even like if you test on the wrong day, you can get the mm-hmm. wrong result because hormones right. fluctuate. And so it's just like, it's so complicated, but people painted it as it was so easy to grow your family whenever you wanted to, yeah. which is so bizarre now that we know all of these things. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm so, I'm so happy to hear about your daughter and going back to the red haired princess. Is your husband a redhead that she he got is. red hair from? Okay. That, that adds a little bit more. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I always, uh, you know, I, I wonder if you experienced this whenever you welcomed your daughter, but then you start to wonder what the babies that you lost would have looked like. Yeah. And I have little blondie babies. Um, and my husband and I are both have brown hair. And so I often wonder, I'm like, would all of my kids have had brown, uh, blonde hair? Or, you know, is that just what our DNA mixed together makes? And um, I always think about now looking at my living children, I wonder the babies I lost, who they would have been. And sometimes that's, it's sometimes it's comforting. And sometimes, of yeah. course, it brings up that grief. Yeah, for sure. You do. I mean, you just think about what would have, you know, how old they would be now. And yeah, just kind of what kind of little people that they would, they would be. I mean, even our daughter, who's just a year, has just such a huge personality. And I think about her siblings, like, and just, yeah, what they would be like, what they, if they would have red hair. (laughs) And I think, you know, to our, when you're grieving those losses, again, you're often grieving it alone because people aren't comfortable hearing you or, you know, thinking about what you've been through. I think when you have a community like you've created to connect with and, and potentially kind of a safe place to share your loss, it really helps you feel less alone. And I think even if you're just connecting virtually through like storytelling, like we're doing right now with others that have had a similar loss um, or have been through that kind of experience, when you share your grief or when you see your story mirrored, mirrored in someone else, it's like suddenly they carry some of your grief for you. Like, I think it lessens that load a little bit. I love, and I so, love the way you put that. Like when I hear, when I've heard those interviews, like I said, I binge listened, I mean, for like, probably like days when you put it all together to the podcast. And when you, when I hear those interviews that you did with all those moms, it really, you know, 
validated my grief because you begin to kind of question it. Like maybe I should have moved on by now, or maybe I should have, you know, put this behind me. But when you hear these moms who have been through that, you know, a similar experience and are still grieving and still have those big feelings and still kind of have those scary thoughts, it really validates your grief. And I think it also kind of helps you collectively honor those babies that died because it's so much more common than people realize. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, me doing this work, I always think it, it, it leaves some sort of legacy for my living children to remember that they have siblings that they did not get to meet. Um, but it also gives me the ability to um, acknowledge my losses and to kind of keep their lives alive in, in yeah. some way or form. But I think that that's so important where we are so isolated, but we are not alone. There are so many women struggling with this. Um, and if anybody is listening and has that thought of, should I be over it by now? Here is your message that you will never be over it. No. You know, it, it's always going to be a layer of grief in your life. And so um, however you feel is, is so valid. I can't even, I wish I could like shake every person that has that thought because I had those thoughts. I had, you know, going past the three month mark, I'm like, okay, nobody's asking me how I'm doing. I guess I'm like crazy that I'm still so sad. Yeah. And when people say that to me, I'm like, it's only been three months. You know, yeah. it's, it's just, it's so hard whenever you are in it because you don't have all of these virtual people like being able to tell you like, no, your grief is so valid. And, and sadly, we do have to search out for it. Um, but yeah, Ugh. Nellie, and thank I, you so much. I think that's the great thing about, you know, some of the benefits of that virtual um, community is that you're not going to walk into, you know, <laughs> your, your work lunchroom or, mm. you know, wherever you are and say, have you had a miscarriage? Because I just did. And I yeah. used to talk about it. You know, it's not something that it's just not something you would just bring up, you know, but I think when you go into that community and you know that everyone has shared that experience, it's just like, you can kind of skip all of those niceties and just kind of go right into whatever you yeah. need to talk about or ask or, or share. And um, it's just such a great supportive um, thing that you've created. So I thank you so much. Um, I, you know, I think it was so important for me to hear those stories and to help myself heal and just understand that I was really kind of, I was not alone and what I was feeling was normal and what I went through was normal. And it was so helpful at the time. Yeah. Well, you're now a part of it. So thank you right back because you are helping so many people who are going to listen to this. You're going to help them feel less alone, um, but also validated, but also give them hope in, in what their future can hold. So thank yeah. you right back. I hope so. Yeah.